by our colleague and my husband, Russ. Hello. There it is. There's, there's, there's uh, four of us literally around the table today. We are super excited that we are back uh, in the same place, uh, in the same building right now as we're recording. And today, uh, to celebrate the fact that we are back in one building, we are going to be talking about what we are all still continuing to live through that has made it weird to be in buildings together. Um, we want to have some conversation together about what life is like being church folk, and in particular leaders in the church during the era of uh, worldwide pandemic, and just sort of how, how have you been handling what ministry looks like, what things are the same, what things are different, how, how are we putting your feet on the floor day by day to do it? So something I've learned, and this was um, communicated to me through a recent council meeting that apparently I'm doing well at, is communication is key, um, and over-communicating is key. Um, I had my council chair recently tell me that he, he has friends from another church and he was sharing with them how much communication we've had in our church by, you know, going from weekly emails to bi-weekly emails and, and trying to get information out to everyone. Um, and his friend's church is like, I have no idea what's going on. Um, <laughs> so apparently I, I figured out something to do, right? I, I don't know how. Maybe like just the grace of God. Um. <laughs> and, and I will own that. That is something that I did not do as well with communication. And I suspect that, at least from my end, it's because when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden everything shut down, um, that included my daycare. And so um, it was kind of like, hey, all of a sudden life in general got harder. And it got even harder because now you're trying to balance work and small children who do not understand what's going on. So, like, uh, this whole time, I feel like I've been playing catch-up, mm-hmm. as well as learning how to do new technologies of, like, how do you live stream, how do you oh, yeah, record yeah. video and then edit it so it's not terrible and then upload it onto social media platforms. So, like, there are things that it's like, oh, yeah, if I could do this over again, and I hope we do not have to do this over again, like... You know, there are things I would do different, and I'm still, but I'm still in that point of, like, playing catch-up of, like, feeling like there's still too much work to do and not enough of me to do it, mm-hmm. and, like, things are still on difficult level. Well, and I agree. I, I still, in some areas, feel like I'm playing catch-up, too. Mm-hmm. Um, the advantage I have is I don't have children, and I have one church. Versus you, you pastoring you know, two churches in the college ministry yeah. and having young children with your husband, who is also a pastor, and pastoring his own three churches. You know, um, so I wish I had I would have had a class or somebody teach me how to do more tech stuff because I record my sermons and then whatever's there, it's there. That's what you're getting, folks. I'm sorry, I don't have the <laughs> I don't have the time or the energy you know, or the um, ability to edit things. Um, if I did, maybe, you know, I could put out more. And that's where I feel like I'm failing, because I'm not putting out enough. You know, it, 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 it makes me think that maybe, um, even, maybe even this, this obsession with, like, polish in our finished products and the stuff we put out there is um, a product of, of 
doing this organized religion thing for 2,000 years instead of like the, the way this movement started. Like, again, I, I think we sometimes imagine like Paul was sitting like redrafting, you know, versions of Roman. No, no, no. I mean, like when chances are he's dictating it live, there's someone who's writing something down as he's talking. And you sometimes get evidence of that in his writings where he'll say, like, finally, and then go on for two more chapters. Like, clearly, this is a stream of consciousness guy. And as Paul wrote, it was like, crisis emerging, I'm responding to it, send it off, let's go, we've got to deal with things. And the, the early church is making this up as we go along. And there's something beautiful, I think, about, like, the idea that that that's, maybe never stopped. We sometimes forget that. But there's something valuable about, like, it's authentic when, here's what I put together, because we're all trying to figure this out, instead of, I need to have this, this perfectly crafted, finished product. Because in the end, like, it's not to get all Mr. Holland's opacy, but, like, the end product of church is the people, not the sermons that we have, the books that we leave behind, the programs or even the liturgies, but the, the people who are formed into, into disciples of Jesus. And that means that the, the stuff we do is going to always feel a little, we're just putting this together as we go. Well, and I feel okay with, like, just printing out, like, recording the sermon, printing out the way it is. In part because that's what they would do on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. I don't get a redo on Sunday morning. Right. I have one service, so it's not even like by the second service, oh, I can do this again <laughs> and maybe fix that part that I messed yeah. up in the first service. You know, no, I have one chance to get that message across. So that's kind of how at least I made myself feel a little bit better about not having the editing skills that I see. So many of my colleagues out there are talking about spending hours on end editing their videos. I'm like, I just don't have time or sure. the knowledge. Well, and I think that there, there's the challenge that, at least I've been feeling in all this, is without a manual for how to do this. Like, it's, it's hard enough for me in non-worldwide pandemic times to decide how to budget time in any given day or week. Because there, there's no such thing as normal. There's, like, sometimes someone is in the hospital, and a lot of your week has to be spent dealing with hospital yeah. stuff. Some, some weeks there's no hospital time, and instead I get a lot of time at desks, and you got to roll with it. But, like, especially now... It's like every week the rules change about, well, okay, you're not allowed to make visits, but people still expect you to stay in touch with them, so we find the ways to do that. And a visit that's a phone call visit or a meet now on somebody's porch where you can distance is time you can spend with one or two people in a household, but you can spend time in reaching a lot of people making stuff that goes up on the internet, but it doesn't feel you know, personal. It, it feels like, we're, again, we're all making this up as we go along, and it's a challenge. And, it's, and so much of at least in, in our polity, our guidance from higher up in our church life is necessarily um, like like all recommendation language instead of like yeah. you must do it because like there's an awareness location by location Con- you know context is, is different and where are there upticks in in, uh, in cases and where are there more urban or populated areas where it's a dead like all that's different so there can't be a set of cookie cutter recommendations but it feels a lot more like than the wisdom is do your best think smart and good luck and I've heard some pushback, and, I, and I've been part of that pushback, too. I, I wish early on that my bishop would have said, this is what you need to do. Like, this is when the churches can reopen. This is how you reopen and all that. But, I mean, for for my conference of the United Methodists, my bishop is in charge of the Western Third of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is so much going on between Erie and, and the West Virginia and Ohio borders that, like, so different from even church to church and churches in the same town are handling things differently. Um, I get it. It just, you know, it it makes life a little bit easier, at least for me. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that's been difficult, too, is the how do you you hold on to the things that don't change and don't get, like, there's some stuff about being church that has to be the same, 
even if the way we do it is very, very different. So, like, that we don't give up on being church. And, like, we had to fight that battle lots of times where it's like the church didn't close. We've changed how we bring the message to people. But having that being, like, constantly vigilant about we're not just going into hibernation. Um, in some ways, that would have been an easier, more tempting sort of a, we're not going to do anything at all, and we're not even going to, like, no, we, we're continuing to do some things and to get the message to folks, it, it just it looks different. And that, that's a difficult thing, finding how in this new situation we keep doing the things that are important to keep doing and to say other things will be set aside for all we'll come back to them. That's difficult. And what do you do, like, with my church, I've got a lot of folks that are online, either email or Facebook, you know, social media, something. So when I put comments on social media or I send my manuscript out through email, like, I say 90% of my folks get that. But then I've got those folks that just because of where they live or because of their age or whatever, they're not internet savvy. They're not online in any way, shape, or form. And so then how do you reach them when the doors were closed? You know, we're open now, but you know, the doors were closed for three months. You know, and that was a whole thing. Like, How do you make sure that you're staying connected to them and, and, and trying to make sure that they feel like they're still part of the body of Christ when... They're not hearing or reading sermons. They're not getting that weekly connection with everybody else that they're used to getting. Yeah, yeah. What are you all doing? Like, you know, visitations are kind of up in the air right now. I know, like, with hospitals and with... But, like, your shut-ins in particular, you know, like, those are people that usually, I think most of us would try to visit um, at least quarterly, if not more often than that. Like, how, how are you all handling... Especially those in nursing homes that we have not been able to get into for four months, five months now. So I've been, I am lucky enough that at present there is, across the three congregations that I'm a pastor of, there is one member who is currently in a nursing home. Everybody else is living, has other living arrangements of some form or another. Now, I mean, we do still have homebound members, especially people who are, are more medically vulnerable and have been sheltering in place even as oh, yeah. Pennsylvania's been lifting the restrictions. But um, to keep in contact with those people, some of the things we've been doing, lots of phone calls, not just from me, uh, which has been um, wonderful and a blessing. And a lot of, um, actually, of those same homebound members because they've been home and haven't had mm-hmm. you know, as much contact and being able to go out have been calling other members. Um, a lot of phone calls. Um, our parish secretary has been mailing people copies of the bulletin for worship every week. Um, so even if they're not able to connect, to, to, to be online, they've at least, and it, it's it's actually a slightly expanded version of what the bulletin we normally do is. So it has, it's not got my full sermon manuscript because I, I do sketchy outlines and shorthand and stuff and it wouldn't work well in a bulletin. Um, but all the prayers of the people, the hymns, stuff that we don't normally write out and put in the bulletin, we've been putting into those bulletins to mail to people. Um, so in theory, even though they can't get online to see the online worship service, they, they would still be able to read the same readings and sing or hear the same hymns and pray the same prayers of intercession that, we, that we've been praying as we gather online. Um, and we have used a tremendous amount of postage in the last couple of months doing that. Um, one of the other things that we've been doing that's really cool, and I cannot take any credit for this. This was a member of the congregation set it up and organized it. Um, 
there have been a few members of the, of the congregations that have been doing coloring pages. Um, a lot of kids and teenagers, especially, um, and then mailing them to homebound members too. Um, and I've actually gotten a couple of coloring pages myself, which has been really cool to open the mailbox. And they, the, the first time I opened the mailbox and saw a letter addressed to me from the church that I wasn't expecting, it was like, oh no, what just happened? Um, but then I opened it up and it was this, this really, really cool thing. Um, so a lot of that contact, blessedly at least for us, has been happening not just with me, but with a lot of other people to, to, to draw the church community together. Um, and it's been happening in some of those non-digital ways because we also have a big chunk of people that just can't get online. I got one of those pieces of like the coloring that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I was struggling early on in the pandemic. I'm single, you know, by myself. Like, I'm an introvert, but still, like, having no social contact with people was really hard. And I, I posted something on social media, and one of my first friends said, what can we do to help? We're praying for you. And I said, I would love a hug from your kids. They live a few houses up the road from me. And so since their ki- her kids couldn't come and physically gave me a hug, they drew me two little pictures of them with their arms outstretched. And then said, would you like a hug? And those things are still in my fridge. Um, you know, three months later, uh, it was one of the best pieces of mail I've gotten in a long time. Really sweet. I think that that's one of the things that I found living through these months that has like like brought me up short and humbled me sometimes is that like little gestures go a long, long way, especially in the times when we've been most cut off from one another. And it says to me, like, one, when someone takes the, the time to write a note or send a card or be a draw, <laughs> that kind of thing, like, it, it, it lands more, it's, it's powerful, and it puts me in the position of, like, what homebound folks are going through all the time, you know, yeah. when you're cut off, and there's, like, and, and I can get so caught up in the busyness of church life that it's, like, you know, you, you start treating it like, like a number thing. Well, guys, I accomplished four visits today, and I didn't, like... But for these people who we're visiting, like, if you are one of a very few number of people who come and interact with them, your presence means something. And again, it's not even that, that my, my small talk is that sparkling, but it's just like the time somebody takes. And to be on the receiving end of that, in, in, whether it's a note or a card or whatever, it, it, it's like, you know, it's like water in the desert. And it, it to me, also says, like, so often... It's, it's not about even what exactly you said, but that you made the effort, you know? And um, it, it humbles me, too. And, like, we spend a lot of time with preachers on getting the wording exactly right for our sermons or what we're going to write or whatever. And what the impressions that last in people's minds and memories are a lot less, oh, I love that sentence instruction in your third paragraph, but that you showed up in whatever way made sense in that moment. Um, and it, it, to me, it, rem- it reminds me in ways that I need to be reminded that this is this is all God's baby, and that this is all it, that in the end, it's God who's working through us or in spite of us, um, and not so much um, that God's like, oh, I need Steve to get the words right, or else you know the the kingdom won't come. I, I think one of the things that's been a real challenge that I, I guess I want to get your collective wisdom on as well is the the at this moment living through this part of um, <laughs> a worldwide pandemic is that the, the entering of it felt very clear in the sense of like, they were like, like 
government issued edicts like, okay, well, we all have to close, we're all going to do this, here's how it's going to be. And the, the opening feels so much more piecemeal and more like everybody's sticking their toe in the water. And it's, it's been a lot harder, like, how do we deal with other, other, other individual Christians, other, other churches, all doing things a little bit differently. Again, no one context is a piece of it. But how do you deal with the, we're not all going through the exact same thing together coming out of it. As going in, it was all, we were all, well, we all had life shut down. And now, how do we, how do we deal with the, the, the variety and the, and the difference without immediately going into, you're doing it wrong, but you're not doing it the same way that I'm doing it. And man, is that tempting in this era for us to be, if we're not identical in the way we're handling it, you're, you're wrong or I'm wrong. Or the, and I think that there's two parts to that, right? Because there's the my own internal monologue about, you know, am I doing this right or am I doing this wrong? Am I being safe enough for my community? Yeah. Or is this an unnecessary risk? Like, there's my internal monologue. Mm-hmm. But then there is also the things that our, worship, our, our leaders are saying, you know, in church council or in our congregations about how they want things to happen and what precautions they do or do not want to take. And it's, you know, if I had a nickel for every time I heard, oh, but I went to this other church and that's not how they did it. And it's like, well, yeah, but we're not them and they're not us. And, like, you know, some, some churches have older pastors who are at high risk, um, there are other congregations who they might have younger pastors, but for whatever health reasons, they're at high risk. Mm-hmm. And then there are other congregations who their area has not had a lot of cases, so like there isn't that community spread right now. And there are communities like ours, which is a college campus that right now it's kind of quiet, but cases are on the rise. But, you know, in a couple weeks, those college kids are going to be back, and then are we going to have to reevaluate? And so, like, there's a whole bunch of conversations going on, and I and, and it's a, it's a constant trying not to compare our ourselves with others, as well as though reminding other leaders that are helping us make difficult decisions that we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to others. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 I think that's, just a good, that's a good way of saying it, is that there's that, the, the self-reflection and introspection is helpful, but how, how do we not just, like, make decisions off the cover of that thing coming through, but are always doing that self-reevaluation, but not to become so, like, so comparing to, to one another that, that the only way to do it right is if there's, like, three other people who are doing it the exact same way, because, again, context is different and setting is different, and, and yet also to feel like the, the decisions that we each make in the settings where we serve are are they're not arbitrary, but like there's a grounding like that. There's there's uh, especially as people who are followers of Jesus in the tradition of the particular scriptures or tradition of that like we're loving neighbor is a central thing. That means something, and that to love neighbor isn't primarily about emotional, but how do you act on the well for the well being of the neighbor? That that means it's going to show up in certain policy things like we're going to err on the side of being cautious for the sake of neighbor. In the individual details of how might that look, it'll be a little bit different place to place. But that guiding principle isn't nothing. Isn't, isn't a, just a, a slogan we try it on. And I think that that's one of the temptations too. Is it, that nobody nobody wants to become like partisan in a sense. And it feels sad to me how much of the conversation in our wider culture feels like dealing with a pandemic so quickly becomes a partisan thing about which political party you're in. But instead to say loving your neighbor is something that 
All followers of Jesus should be able to get behind. All, all, all people in the Abrahamic faith should get to, to be pretty much just be human, like, yeah, love your neighbor, that should be a basic thing. Um, and that, like, that, that has particular implications for how, how we make decisions. And loving your neighbor has been, like, I've used that phrase more in the last five months mm-hmm. than I have in the last 37 years I've been alive. Yeah. Um, because that's, like, been my guidance of, do we wear masks? Do, yeah. You know, what do we do about communion? What do we do with hand sanitizer? All these things that have been put in place that have kind of gone back and forth. And, you know, some people think, well, if you're wearing a mask and you're, you know, you're, you're fearful or something. I'm like, no, I'm wearing a mask because I love my neighbor. Mm-hmm. I want to take care of my neighbor. You know, if it helps, then if it doesn't help, it's an inconvenience to me. We'll be there. But right. if it does help, then it, then it has helped. Um, but, like, communicating, even though I, my church didn't open like your church did, Steve, or yours, Sarah, and Ross, like, being in communication with other pastors and just kind of bouncing ideas off each other was really helpful for me. Like, for my district superintendent was having us meet every week for several hours. Um, sorry, Jimmy, you did get a little annoying after a while. <laughs> but at the beginning, um, it was really good because, it, first off, I got to see people, again, single, living by myself. All I had was a dog. So at least I got to see folks over Zoom, even though I couldn't see them in person. But just bouncing ideas off of each other was helpful, even if we don't land on the same page. Um, when we reopened, or how we were going to reopen, what we were going to do when we reopened, it was just good to hear that from other folks and, and realize, for me, okay, I'm not in this alone. And, and I totally agree. Like one of our colleague colleagues, um, Father Bill has an idea about how to do communion in both kinds, so bread and wine, but that doesn't involve having an open container of wine, which is what he does is he takes his little, he takes the wafer like the day before, lays it out on like a cookie sheet, puts a drop of the wine on the wafer and lets it dry. It's not quite the same thing as in tinction or common cup or even the little tiny glasses of wine, but it allows at least a possibility of communion in both kinds that is safer than other methods right now. And, like, I would not have thought of that on my own. So, like, I definitely got that from having a conversation with colleagues. Yeah. And I think it's great that, like, we can have those conversations and that it can be okay that at the end of it, people can land in different places and be like, oh, that's going to work in your context, that's great, and not to immediately feel like, you got to die on the hill of this. You're doing it wrong. Like, okay, yeah, there can be a variety, and even that there may be multiple ways of living within the parameters of you want to be cautious, but also have something that feels like Christian worship and not just a TED talk. Um, and and to be okay with, there's going to be different places we can land on that. I guess even like to know what are, what are the what are the deal breaker things that like nope, this is the the, the gospel's at stake on this. Um, and one of the places where I know we can be in different places on this little bit of practice, you know, like I think sometimes we forget too how much of what Christian worship looks like now is way, way different than it was like when we were first meeting in house churches and it was basically a, a covered dish meal in somebody's house um, and that sort of like merged into uh, celebrating what we call communion um, and then they'd go to temple the next day. Like there's a lot of ways that it, that it was it was different. Um, and instead of thinking the goal is how do we duplicate you know, the one right way to do Christian worship, to say it's always got to be how do you attend to what's going on in the, in the moment and in the culture and the situation going on around you. The same way I'm sure like 
during World War II, church services had to be interrupted in Britain because they were worried about getting bombed by Nazis. So yeah, you make some amendments and things. Um, and, and if we forget that part of, part of church tradition is we've been constantly changing, um, we end up sort of like fossilizing, I think. And I think we have to look at this pandemic in the long run. It's going to be really hard to see now in the midst of this. But hopefully we'll be able to reflect back on this time, however long it lasts, and say this was a good thing for the church. Hmm. And I say that because it, it kind of it takes us back to our, our roots, you know, house churches. So, I mean, when we're doing purely just online worship, basically we have a whole bunch of house churches yeah. going on. <laughs> um, but it's taking us back to that time where we have to adapt to our surroundings, and, and it's kind of breaking our habits yeah. of what's become American Christianity versus Christianity. Mm-hmm. You know, the Christianity of Jesus, which, I mean, not to say American Christianity isn't the Christianity of Jesus, but sometimes we let the culture influence us too much, I think, sure. in how we do things. And so this is kind of breaking us from that habit, and hopefully it will help bring about some new ministry ideas, ministry areas, ways of reaching out to folks that we would not have done otherwise. I think that's a, that's a great way of saying it. It's like a, a moment like this that breaks your routine. By definition, when you are not forced to do that broken routine, now you now you're, you're you're able to ask what, how much do we just go right back to what we're doing, and how much do we have to reinvent or be completely different now? And without a moment that disrupts it, we're just by creatures of habit, like we just keep doing what we've inherited. Yeah. And at that point, it's it. It ceases to be like a, 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 a living conscious choice. It's just sort of by rote. But when when something disrupts the routine, you're forced to ask. No, this is something that's worth holding on to. We're going to go back to doing this because this is this is essential to us. And then to say there's other things. No, we we need to do things differently or think things out differently. And we can use this moment in that kind of way creatively. Um, if 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 we don't make an idol of the way things used to be, and that's maybe like this recurring human temptation is. We want the comfort of the way it was, so we immediately want to go back to what we're used to. So let's be honest, as pastors, how many times have we actually evaluated every ministry in our church and said, is this worth continuing? Right, right, right. You know, and, and COVID has forced us to say that. Yeah. You know, is this worth continuing? Um, and we might not be asking that question now because we're still in the midst of the pandemic. Yeah. But when we get back to whatever normal-ish looked like, Beforehand, we might start asking the question: Okay, do we really want to keep this yeah. ministry going, or or we started this ministry because of COVID? Yeah. How can we expand on that and make that better now that we're not just trying to deal week to week? Yeah. Uh, with the chaos around us. This when, when I was when I was in seminary, there's a church I became familiar with that um, had a tradition of every year doing a chicken and biscuit dinner, and it's like in a chicken and gravy biscuit sort of thing, mm-hmm. and there. When I first came as like a you know seminary student learning and all this kind of thing, they're like, "This is the thing we do every year." And you know, you ask a little bit more, like, "Well, we started this when we were had a building project, and this is our fundraiser to help pay for the building that lets us do church activity." Okay. Well, by the time I came along and met this congregation, their building had been long since paid for, and so it wasn't they needed to raise the money for uh, paying for their building. They weren't using the money to uh, do ministry. It was like, "Well, this is going into our account now." 
And well, then what, what, what is this for? And they would say things like, well, it, you know, it's for the fellowship of it. But like at this point, two-thirds of the people did, got takeout and did not actually say So like this thing had morphed what its purpose was. And there, there, it, it's fine if time in life in the church is like, well, we used to do it for this reason, and we kept doing it, and now it's still good, but we're doing it for this different reason. But it, sort of what had seemed like it had happened in this church was it was like we kept the structure, but without a sense of what was the point of it. And people complained about it. Like, it's too much work. We don't like it. And, like, nobody even sits down and eats with each other. Why are we doing, why are we doing yeah. this? Yeah, I think COVID is making us start to do a lot of reflection. Mm-hmm. And also, it's going to be an opportunity for a lot of really tough conversations. Yeah. And I think that we're possibly starting to have some of those tough conversations now, especially around how do we reopen in-person worship and what does that look like? And the way that it has to look like to be safe, is that worth it right Mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. And for quite a few people, yes, yes, it is worth it because there's something about being in the building, worshiping together as a community. And then for other people, it's like, "Mm, no, not yet. I would prefer to stay home for a little bit longer and continue worshiping, again, still in community, but online. And so, like, trying to find that balance and have those conversations and make sure everybody feels heard is, I think, really difficult. Yeah, yeah. And it seems to me, too, like, a part of this isn't even... Where do we land on any one of these decisions? Because there may be parts that, in hindsight, we look back and go, oh, I wish I would have done it slightly differently. And there's going to be things where we look back and go, this decision is pretty close on, on the mark, and this one is a little bit off. But the, the how, the way we arrive at this, the way that we have the conversations, that can be done in love or not in love. And that can be done in ways that are graceful for one another and that give the benefit of the doubt to one another or also are guided by the overarching principle of, What's the, what's the way that we love our neighbor here? You know, not necessarily just uh, this is what I want, but like, and that I think those will be the things that leave the, the longest lasting marks on the communities that we're a part of. Is will people look back and remember? That nobody will remember for sure what date we did or didn't start back into worship, but they will remember was it handled in a way that they felt like they were loved through it. And again, that that makes it a lot harder because it, it means it's not just about making one right call. It's about day by day by day. How do we do things in ways that give other people grace and extend grace to us and we're the ones who need it too. That's hard. And it, maybe again that's what's honest about like this is what the whole Christian life is like. There's a lot less of did you get the right answers and instead did you act in a way that had love. It might make us look to see very much like the, the parable that you know this really ties into the good Samaritan like who our neighbor is. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, like we have a food bank ministry that we work with, my church works with at Marion Center. Um, that we kind of keep going, and we kind of rethink how that's done, yeah. so that you know we keeping people six feet apart and making sure that they're getting their food safely, but also our volunteers are doing you know things safely. Um, but I, I I've heard and I and I've talked with a lot of colleagues who have been doing a lot more outreach kind of ministries. Um, again, that they wouldn't necessarily be doing because it, it wasn't needed. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked with um, distributing lunches to kids and adults in Indiana uh, for several months, and they're still doing that through through a center down there. Um, that's something that they weren't doing before COVID, but because of COVID, mm-hmm. and knowing people are out of jobs, people can't afford you know meals. Their kids are now not in school where they were maybe getting free and reduced lunches there. Um, 
you know, that was an outreach ministry that I was able to get a part of. And now I know that center, and now I can recommend that center to other people. Mm, yeah. Um, which I, I knew it existed, but I didn't know the people that worked there. I didn't know what they did. Um, so that introduced me to a new community of neighbors. Yeah, yeah. Um, through this. That sense of the wideness of neighborliness, I think, is important, too, because it's a reminder that the, the choices we make in, in something like this, an event like this, it reminds us how deeply interconnected we are, not just the faces we can see, but the faces way, way, way beyond the wider circles. And that part of, say, our uh, plan, the part of why we're asking, say, folks in our church building to wear masks, or part of why, you know, the wider culture we are, isn't just for me and my household, uh, or even the people who are in church on a Sunday, but whoever else you'll cross paths with in the course of that day so that we're not carrying and passing other people. And maybe a piece of what this whole experience has reminded us of is that the, 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 the idea that we're all self-contained individuals who, whose lives don't interact with others, that, that was an illusion all along. We maybe sometimes can pretend that that's how things are, but a moment like this reminds us that we're all interconnected and that neighbors, like the whole point of that Good Samaritan story, is it's not just neighbors are the people who fit in this box of people who are either like me or close enough to me, but it radiates out a lot wider and bigger, and all those are folks who are called to love. So, um, I, I guess we invite you in these, the, the, it's not like our one conversation about a pandemic is like solved it, so uh, we, we do <laughs> invite you in wherever places you're at listening, or whatever conversations you're a part of, um, to, to keep wrestling with how, how we live through a time like this as followers of Jesus, who are striving to figure out how do I love my neighbor in this. Um, and next time when we gather around whatever kind of table we gather around, we'll have whole new sets of conversations here on Crazy Faith Talk. Thanks, everybody, for listening. See you Bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.